Thank you for checking out the Mercy Hill Church Sermon Podcast. If you would like to know more about Mercy Hill, you can visit us on the web at mercyhill.cc. Um, at, we've, we've been speaking the last few weeks about joy in the Lord and how do we find joy in the Lord. And, and Corey, Corey did a great job a few weeks back preaching about how the joy of the Lord is our strength. And so often I get it backwards. Yeah, and I think I'm going to find my my joy in my strength. And when things are going well and I'm strong and it's all working great, then I can be happy because everything's going right. And, and what the scripture is saying is actually the other way around, that instead we find strength in joy. And this morning I want to open up for us some things about finding joy in our limitations and inadequacies. Because all of us, I think there's things in our life that we would sure love could be different. That there's some things in our life that we wish we could change or, or improve in whatever axis or indices we value. And for me, one of the things that has robbed me of joy much of my life has been the idea that if I'm doing something, doesn't matter what the thing is, I've got to be really good at it for it to be worth me doing it. And, and that's the kind of pressure that I put on myself, even when I was a kid learning to play piano, I put so much pressure on myself to be perfect that I, I would physically break out in hives when I had a recital because it had to be perfect. And if you think about some of the things that you wish could be better, some of those things are external. They may be circumstances and situations. Some of them are internal where we just wish we were better, that we were more gifted in certain areas. We could do things better. And, and when we do, uh, you know, there's probably some activities that you enjoy, that I enjoy, that or I think I could enjoy, like golfing, if I had just been gifted with more talent uh, in those areas. But I believe God wants to encourage all of us this morning. Uh, first, that he knows what he's doing when he gives us the gifts and the responsibilities and limitations that he does give us in the proportion and the ways that he does. And, and secondly, I think this one... I hope it can sink in deep for us, that he delights in us, even in our shortcomings, not just in the areas that were awesome. Does that make sense? Just join with me in prayer. and We'll open the scripture together. Lord, I ask as we open up your word, God, that we genuinely hear you speaking to us. God, we do believe this, this book is full of stuff that you've breathed. So God, we want to inhale it this morning. We want to take it in. And we ask that as we go through your word, your word would take root in us. And that you'd help us to see you better, to know you more, and to see your likeness in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, so I, I, I want to turn you to a passage you, you might, uh, let's just say it's uh, it's a little out of the ordinary, where it is and why it's there. Uh, it's just a handful of short verses in the book of Job, of all places. Chapter 39, uh, starting in verse 13, uh, the, the passage here says this says that the wings of the ostrich flap joyfully, but they cannot compare with the pinions and feathers of the stork. You know, comparisons can be kind of tough, right? And if you're the ostrich and they're comparing your wings to a stork, you're going to come up short. Uh, but the passage says, what does it say about the wings of the ostrich? They flap joyfully. 
Uh, well, let's continue. The wings of the ostrich flap joyfully, but they cannot compare with the pinions and feathers of the stork. She, the ostrich again, she lays her eggs on the ground and lets them warm in the sand, unmindful that a foot may crush them, that some wild animal may trample them. And assuming they hatch successfully, it continues to say she treats her young harshly as if they were not hers. She cares not that her labor was in vain, for God did not endow her with wisdom or give her a share of good sense. Yet when she spreads her feathers and runs, she laughs at horse and rider. I, I keep scratching myself and say, am I really preaching for this passage? You know, <laughs> and I think about it and say, why, why is this even here? I mean, why is this passage even in the Bible? And why is it where it is here? What does it have to do with God and with our relationship with him? Right? Because it's a funny little passage. You read it and it's kind of hard to tell whether it's like holding the ostrich up as good or bad. Hey, it's because it's kind of mixed. There's some of each, some of it's complimentary and some of it kind of disses the ostrich, but in a good natured sort of way, right? Because the wings, right? The ostrich wings, those wings are a joke, right? And that ostrich, huge bird, tiny wings. It's really out of proportion. Doesn't make sense. A stork. Now, a stork, on the other hand, now that's a proper bird. Those are some wings on a stork. You see a stork and it just soars and soars and does great, you know. But why even bother having wings if you can't have stork wings? Do you know what I'm saying? Right? If you can't have stork wings, why even try? Right? And, and what a waste the ostrich is as a parent. I mean, she's a hopeless case. Here as a mom, seriously, you don't leave your eggs just on the ground where people can trample on them, where uh, camels can step on them, right? And she's a bad mom once they're born. It's like the absolute, op absolute opposite of a helicopter parent uh, is the ostrich. And, and yet, on the other hand, what the passage seems to be emphasizing is the joy of the ostrich in the midst of all of these shortcomings and inadequacies. What it says about the wings is what grabbed me, that they flap joyfully, even though they don't seem to be doing much good. And I think, so what does any of this have to do with us? Or what does it have to say to us about who God is and God himself? Well, it has to do with where this passage is placed in the story. Uh, it's in the middle of God himself speaking to Job. And that fact, together with his context, really does carry a lot of meaning for us. See, the story of Job, the story of this, this book and the life and the work of God in Job's life, it's a story about loss and suffering and about trusting God when life really sucks. Because Job himself, he's held on to his trust in God despite losing everything. It, it, in one day, he lost all of his stuff. He lost almost all of his family, his children. He's Basically, he lost his health. The only thing he's still got is a wife who's telling him to go ahead and curse God and die. Thank you so much, honey. And, and he's got a few friends who keep coming to tell him that it's all his fault. Because it's got to be your fault, Joe, because God wouldn't punish you like this if you hadn't messed up. 
And, and finally, he gets to a point in his own frustration and insistence that all this stuff can't be my fault. And he complains that he can't even hear God and God won't listen to him. And why won't God somehow defend uh, Job and, and prove that it's not his fault? And the climax of the story is when God himself starts to speak. And God speaking silences all the other voices. It silences the, the mixed messages of Job's friends. It silences Job's efforts to self-indicate himself. And right at the beginning of chapter 38, so 38, 39, and 40, is God speaking to Job out of the storm. And this little ostrich passage is smack in the center of that. And here's how it goes. When God starts speaking to Job about all of this, God is really in Job's face about it over and over again. It's confrontational on God's part. He's getting up in Job's face. He's saying, oh, so you want to discredit my justice and slander me to vindicate yourself. All right, Job, fasten your seatbelt. I've got some questions for you. And God starts to lay into Job with these questions. He says, okay, Job, where were you when I created the earth and its foundations? Were you there? How much of this did you make, Job? He says, have you ever made the sunrise happen, Job? I do it every day. You've never done it even once. He says, what about walking on the deep ocean floor down there? Have you been there, Job? Been there, done that? No, but I know everything that's down there. How about the clouds, Job? You know where the snowstorms start and the blizzards happen? Have you ever made the hail in a storm cloud, Job? Are you the one who sends the rain? How about lightning bolts, Job? Can you do that? And then he shifts his gears and he starts going through a list of animals. He says, okay, Job, how about the animals? Are you the one who feeds the lions their food? Job, are you the one who, when the deer give birth in the forest or the mountain goats up on the hillside, are you their midwife, Job? Is that what you do? He says, how about the buffalo? Do you tame it? Does it eat at your manger, Job? Are you the one who gives the horse its strength? Does the hawk take flight because of your wisdom, Job? Job, can you make a hippopotamus? Yeah, and this is God's confrontation with Job. He's so in your face. And there he says, you know, can you make a great whale your pet? How about a crocodile? Can you do, you know? And, and he, it's just over and over again. And right in the middle of this, is the verses we just read about the ostrich. And it's stunningly non-confrontational. Suddenly, in the midst of, of all this, before and after, where it's just hammer on a nail, God going at Job about God's power and God's sovereignty, God being the one who's in control and who does all of this. Suddenly, we have this, this piece about the ostrich. And it's like the only place that God's not challenging Job and saying, can you do this, Job? Have you done this? It's just a pause. And it's this little observation about the wings of the ostrich flap joyfully, even though they suck compared to a stork's. And the ostrich is a terrible mom. And it doesn't have any sense. God hasn't given the, the ostrich a brain. It's got legs like this and a brain like this. And, and right in the midst of all of this, somehow we're seeing God saying, and I still delight in this ostrich. The ostrich doesn't compare to the lions and the great whales and the crocodile or to the foundations of the earth and the snowstorms and the stars. I made this kind of ridiculous animal 
that looks like it's cobbled together out of spare parts and doesn't even fly, and it's a bird. And I think it's great. It's I think it's so terrific that I'm going to bring it up in this conversation about how great I am and how I do every day things you've never been able to do. And here's God showing his delight in the shortcomings and in some ways the ridiculousness of this ostrich that he's made. I hope that's sinking in because we have a value system that at least I do. I think some of us share it, right? Where we think God only values us or is pleased with us when we're being really, really good. And if we're just awesome enough, then God will think we're great. And this passage is saying something different to us. Saying God delights in you, even in your limitations, even in some of your foolishnesses, even when you look ridiculous to people. God still loves you. He's actually still happy he made you. And he'll actually pull you into the same kind of conversation that he's doing when he's showing how great and glorious he is. In all these other ways, you're on God's list too of things he's made that he's not ashamed of. He's actually kind of proud of himself for the way he made you also. And you know, God displays his glory in the foolishness of the ostrich as well as the splendor of the stork. And all of all of it, the whole way he's made us, you know, the gifts he's given you where you're really good in stuff, where you wish that was the only part people ever got to see, God's glorified in that. But God's glorified in the whole package. His glory is seen and revealed, and he delights in the wholeness of how he's made you. And he didn't give you top-level gifts in every category. And he's put situations and challenges in your life that limit you even in areas that you're gifted. And in doing that, he still delights in you. And God, God's glory has shown that he can afford to be so lavishly wasteful in the abundant overflow of his goodness and his provision and his gifts, that it doesn't all have to be productive or efficient. Are you hearing that? The wings of the ostrich flap joyfully because those are the wings God gave her. You know, the ostrich is not ashamed of her silly little wings. You know, and there's things that God's given us a portion of in our lives. And because it's not as big as the stork's, we're ashamed to use what God's given us, not not the ostrich. That ostrich, it says in verse 18, it says, when she spreads her feathers and runs, she laughs at horse and rider. Here, Adam, can you help us with that? Just take a look uh, at this here. You got the ostrich saying, okay, I can't fly. Watch me run. Hmm. A little dark. It's a cyclist going downhill. I just let it keep going because I want you to see. It's like, ostrich can do this all day. I mean, isn't it crazy? I mean, if you're a cyclist, you're like, pedal faster, buddy. You know, <laughs> you just go. Uh, there is a joy 
that we can find even in our limitations. You can't fly? Go ahead and run. The wings God gave you, they seem too short. They seem too small. Flap them joyfully and glorify the Lord in it because he's delighted in you. So I, I know in my life, there are things that I probably could have done, but because they didn't come easily to me or because I didn't get awesome at it quickly, I quit on it. I gave up on it because I thought it wasn't doing and I couldn't be great at it. Like I, I bailed on basketball when I was a kid in school. I didn't start growing till I was late. And, and I, I had been fed this lie, this illusion in gym class. They said that basketball was a non-contact sport. And, and, and it was a shock to my system to actually try to play. So I quit. I didn't have anything to do with basketball. Um, until I was in my thirties and an adult, I started working with Johnny Hamstra over at Living Word Church and Johnny and Dave, who were over there, they got me to start coming out early on Friday mornings to start playing basketball with the Ruku guys. I had no idea what I was doing. I mean, I knew, I actually knew all the rules and all the theory. It's like I could do basketball from the neck up, but the rest of me could not. And, and it was humiliating and it was embarrassing. And I started to have a lot of fun playing ball with these guys. And I learned so much from Johnny. Johnny was teaching me how to, the importance of using your body and positioning yourself under the basket. So he's trying to teach me how to do that. And here's what I learned. I learned that if you bang into Johnny under the basket, it's like running into a wall. <laughs> he's a beast. And, you know, and they would teach me proper shooting form, but Here's a secret. If we ever go play basketball, you don't have to waste your time guarding me because I, I won't hit the shot anyway if you leave me open. You know, if you start playing basketball in your 30s, well, maybe you would, but I'm not the guy who's going to hit the open three. It's just not going to happen. Give double team Johnny. Don't worry about me. And, um, but I just threw myself into it. I just flapped my wings joyfully, if you get what I'm saying here. And I just went into it with energy and enthusiasm. I'd hustle up and down the court. I actually became a passable defender, right? And I was very generous in passing the ball, so everybody on the team liked me because I knew better than to try to take a shot. <laughs> and, um, you know, and I got decent with that just from some effort. And I found I was having fun. And it was a revelation to me because there was no way I was anywhere near be- being the best guy on the team. But I started to realize I didn't have to be. I could flap the wings God had given me joyfully and, and get involved in that as an adult. Um, for me, trying to learn Spanish as an adult has been fraught with much more embarrassment than playing basketball. Um, because on a basketball court, you can pass the ball and you can fake it like you're being generous. Um, but when, when I try to speak in Spanish, it's it's been this humiliating process because I never studied Spanish in school. And it was in the mid-1990s, 1995, 1998, that I was wrestling with the growing realization that God was going to keep calling me into Latin America, into relationships that we were connected with uh, for global missions and things and that, oh, nuts, I'm going to have to learn to communicate here. And and I started trying to learn Spanish as an old dog um, in about 20 years ago, and and to overcome my own pride and, and my own self-perception. Because when I try to speak Spanish, I sound stupid. Uh, because my, my grammar is bad. Uh, my conjugation of different verbs doesn't agree. I'll mess up masculine and feminine. And it's just kind of a pitfall, full of pitfalls for me. 
And I find it hard to expose my inabilities in things. I want to fly if I'm a stork, but not flap my wings if I'm an ostrich. And, and yet, you know, it's just worth doing. It's worth doing anyway. And, and connecting with people, uh, without being able to impress them by speaking perfectly, it still communicates something in the heart of God. I can feel the smile of God on my kind of flailing efforts. And God really does give grace to the humble. And there's something here for us as a church to recognize that God doesn't want us to hold back because of our pride or embarrassment or feeling like he hasn't given us enough of a gift for us to be proud of it, but to go ahead and experience his delight in being who he's made us and reaching out to others best we can. There, there's something that King that David says in Psalm 16 that's worth a quick look about being able to find another example of finding joy in our limitations. In Psalm 16, verses 5 and 6, David writes, Lord, you've assigned me my portion and my cup. You've made my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. As you read through the Psalms, you find there are times in David's life where the boundary lines do not seem like they're in pleasant places. He, at times he's on the run. He's living in a cave. He's hiding from a king who's trying to take his life. There are times of his life where it's a desert season and very, very difficult. There's some times in his life where that cup, you've assigned me my portion, my cup, where that cup was sweet. And there were times in his life where that cup tasted bitter. There were times in his life where that portion was like fat and rich and tremendous and times where that portion seemed sadly lacking. But in all of the seasons of his life, David understood that it's God who's set the fence line around that season for his life. He said, the boundary lines have fallen. Lord, you've assigned me my portion. And the boundaries in our lives, they're from the Lord. They're part of his care and his goodness in our lives. And he wants us to delight in him wherever the fence line happens to be. But for us, often, we find ourselves straining against the fence, convinced that somehow the grass on the other side is greener, tastier, and better, instead of delighting right where the Lord is, where he's put the the boundaries around our lives. And those boundary lines in our lives, they can be limitations in our own abilities and gifting. It could be limitations in our own health. They could be circumstantial situations that are external to ourselves where responsibilities put limitations on what else we can do, right? Uh, for many, many folks, even for some folks who are not here today, when your young children get sick, you're staying home with your kids and you're not going to work that day or you're not here at church that day. And when you have several of them and it starts going through the family, that boundary line does not feel like it's in a pleasant place, especially when it's your turn and you catch the same thing that the kids have had. And yet the Lord will be with us in that, in the midst of it. And he'll bring us joy in the midst of that kind of limitation. It might be that your job feels like a real burden and the hours limit how much time you can spend doing other things. You know, I was shared with some folks a little earlier um, about, you know, sometimes you feel like your job stinks. Uh, and on Friday, <clears throat> I on Friday, it was my every two-year date with having our septic tank 
cleaned out and emptied out at home. And, and in my house, that means I have to dig out a couple of yards worth of turf to access where the septic tank is so we can open it up, inspect it, and, and check it out. And I've been kind of grumbling on the home front that this is going to have to be done. And I, you know, there's never a day that I, that I enjoy digging up large clods of, of turf and stuff. So I've been grumbling and fussing about it. I got it done and the, the septic guy arrived and he's not a young guy. It's a family business. They've been doing it since the Civil War. I'm exaggerating. Uh, but his older brother just retired and puts a lot of extra work on him because he's the remaining brother. Older brother's 75. Younger brother is not young. And you know what? He gets there. He's got this big hose down into this aromatic work environment. And he's like, what's the good word, pastor? What's the message going to be this Sunday? I'm telling you, he's got a stinky job. Literally. And, and he's actually living in the joy of the Lord in the midst of his job. We had, we had a great talk about the Lord, ironically about what I'm preaching this week, and I could not have timed that. I didn't do that on purpose. But, um, finding joy in the limitations that are in our lives is a gift from God. And he, and he willingly gives it to us, even to an ostrich that he's given these useless little wings to. It's an act of faith for us to rejoice in the Lord in the midst of circumstances that limit us. But it's the very thing that makes him God and us creatures is that he has no limits. We do. And we trust and glorify him in that. And we find our joy in that. And sometimes when we delight in what God's actually given us, we may find that we can run even when we can't fly. I think about the Apostle Paul, who, when he was writing his letter to the church in Philippi, uh, Philippians in your Bible, uh, he talks about joy so much in the letter to the Philippians. Uh, just in chapter one alone, depending on how you count, there's probably five places that he talks about joy. There's three times that he mentions joy, two times that he specifically says that he's rejoicing. And, and you think, that's great, Paul. And then it sinks in. He's writing from prison. He's not Westville. I mean, he's writing from a Roman imprisonment uh, where it's self-serve. If any of your needs are going to be supplied, you've got to provide it yourself. There wasn't any government supplied amenities. And, and he says this in verse 12. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what's happened to me, it's really served to advance the gospel. And he goes on to talk about how all of the guards that have to watch him have been like a captive audience to him for sharing the gospel. And, and he talks about how him being stuck in jail has caused other people to preach the gospel more than before. And for a guy like the Apostle Paul, whose passion was to travel around all these different places and proclaim the name of Jesus, being locked up in jail was like cutting his wings from stork size to ostrich wings. It's like, I can't travel around and proclaim the gospel. That's my calling. That's my passion. But you know what I can do? I can write letters. That's why we have so much of the New Testament. That's why we have the letter to the Philippians, certainly. And so Paul is like, yeah, okay. Keep me from flying. Watch me run. I'm going to flap my wings here in jail. I'm going to delight in the Lord. And God does some great things when we embrace our limitations. And we trust him to be with us in them. Uh, we shared with you last last week that Pam was in the hospital last weekend, 
And we all got the news just before last weekend that there's a tumor on her pancreas. It's not a little thing. It's got to go. Uh, and uh, in the midst of that, at the hospital, Pam was a delight to be with. Yeah, I'm so glad you're here, Pam. I know it's a little embarrassing for me to, to say nice things about you while you're here. Uh, but it's one of the best times to actually do that. Uh, guys, which is such a delight here. It's a diagnosis that she's gotten. There's a tumor on her pancreas. She's going to have surgery on Friday. And, and when we're done here with the sermon, we're also going to have communion up front. And if we can just kind of reserve this area here, we'd love for folks to gather around uh, both Pam and Ron and join together in prayer for the surgery that's coming up. The diagnosis she's received comes with some definite fence lines. It's a diagnosis that imposes some boundaries on you because even a successful surgery is going to mean painful recovery time. It's limiting Pam. But I could see right away in the hospital, you know what? It's never limited for Pam. No health concern has ever yet caused Pam to turn inward on herself and keep her from praying for other people. You couldn't ask for, for someone better to be praying for everybody in this room then bam, she's in the hospital. She's praying for everybody else. And and so, you know, it's a case of if you don't have stork wings, you got ostrich wings. God's still delighted in that. And your praying is so powerful and so rich and so good. And so, friends, let me just wrap this up. Here's the reality of the gospel for us. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. He invites us to come to him just as we are. It's so easy for us to feel like we can only bring God our best. But actually, he wants us to bring him everything we are. Certainly our best, but also ourselves at our worst. In the great things and in the limitations, in the successes and in the failures, in those moments of of just beautiful, aromatic godliness, and in those moments of stinky sinfulness, he invites us to come as whole people completely to himself. Jesus' invitation is not for the good, it's not for the best, it's not for the perfect, it's for you and it's for me. And he said, I come to as a, like a physician does. It's not the healthy you need a doctor, it's the sick. And he invites us to come as we are. And some of us in this room, you knew that 20 years ago when you were convicted of your sin and you repented of them. You said, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sin. But you're living today like it's up to you to be good enough for God. And he's just calling again to say, come as you are. Come, you who are thirsty. Come, you who are weary. Come in your inadequacies and your limitations. I'll give you rest. I'll give you water. You'll find that I dance and delight over you. Sing even though you can't sing well. You can't carry a tune. Raise your voice joyfully to the Lord. In the limitations and inadequacies you have, We give it all to the Lord. He's delighted. And we find our sufficiency and our joy are really in him. And so we're going to ask the guys to bring the communion stuff up front here. And and in lieu of us just sitting still, I just want to invite you. Come before the Lord. Come to the table that Jesus sets for us. It's what David describes in Psalm 23 as God setting a table for us in the presence of our enemies. In the midst of the challenges and the struggles that we're facing, God set a table. And it's a table of joy for us. The cup that was bitter for Jesus is a cup of forgiveness for you and I. His body that's broken is what makes us whole. And so come to Jesus 
here in this, this simple act of taking bread and taking juice. There's a moment of grace and encounter that we can have with the Lord through his spirit. And guys, I, I just got to actually ask you, just come and stand up here close enough. And so come on up to take a piece of bread, take a little cup of juice. And, and if you want to linger and pray, just find some space here behind me on the steps. Corey and Brooke are going to come and provide a little bit of music for us. And if you need to go pick up your kids or do something elsewhere, there's no pressure to to linger until Tuesday. But if there's a moment now for you just to come fresh to the Lord and say, Lord, I keep trying. I keep thinking to myself because I can't fly like a stork. I'm not good enough for you and you can't delight in me. I think the only way I can bless and please you is if I get it all right. Then remember the ostrich. Remember the cross. Come before the Lord. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that on the very night that you were betrayed, you took the bread and you gave thanks and you broke it. And you offered it to your disciples saying, take and eat. This is my body broken for you. And in the same way, after supper, you took the cup. And when you'd given thanks, you gave it to your disciples. And you said that this cup is the blood of a new covenant. Your own blood poured out for the forgiveness of many. Lord, we ask that this grace would sink deep into our hearts afresh, Lord. Forgive us, God, for where we've shifted the terms of this relationship to think that somehow we have to come to you on God-like terms ourselves. Lord, you are God. We're your creatures. Lord, thank you for making us. God, we affirm your wisdom in setting the boundary lines where you have in our lives. Lord, and we come to you thankful, dependent, and joyful, Lord. Thank you for your joy in us. And God, I just ask for my brothers and sisters, you'd help each person in this place feel that joy afresh from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Just feel free to come and take the bread and the juice, experience communion with Jesus, and linger to pray.